0: Technology is changing every single day. So we really needed to focus on building a facility that had the infrastructure and the capability to incorporate technologies as they came.
1: From SSR Studios, it's Tech Vitals, a show about emerging technologies and innovations. We will take a deeper dive at how things like AI, VR, and sensor technologies are changing how we live and work. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Hilliard
2: and I'm your other host, Debbie Gregory. We are searching for cutting edge people using technology to solve cutting edge problems. Each episode, we will be interviewing amazing thought leaders that are navigating the uncharted waters of emerging technology.
1: It is an honor to sit down with Sean Sarles and Kate DeSanto-Newcomb today. A MSN registered nurse, Sean Sarles is the Associate Director of Clinical Technology at Penn Medicine. Also an MSN registered nurse, Kate DeSanto Newcomb was the clinical liaison lead on the pavilion project at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Opened to serve the greater Philadelphia area just a few months ago, this state-of-the-art facility has been one of the largest hospital projects in the U.S. in recent years at 1.5 million square feet, 17 stories, 504 private beds, and 47 operating suites. Fun and unique fact, Sean and Kate were the first nurses involved in this mega project mission, even predating the architectural partner selection in 2014. Over the seven year journey, Sean and Kate steered and guided the transformational vision for this innovative facility. Now we have the pleasure of talking with them full circle to see how the project has matured and how this initial vision has transformed into reality. We've linked some pics and details in the show notes for you to learn more about the unique environments of the Pavilion project.
2: Nurses are not uh, have not been typically on projects, so who is the brainchild that gets credit for thinking that nurses need to be on there?
0: I think that um, that goes back to Kevin Mahoney.
3: So Yeah, that was before Kevin's, he was CEO, though. He wasn't CEO yeah. at that point. He's CEO right. now. He's
0: yeah. CEO now. He was not at that point in time, but... They really wanted to do this IPD project delivery, and they really felt like, you know, they could learn some lessons from previous projects and get the input from the clinical staff from the very beginning. So, obviously, it worked out for Sean and I, um, and the staff was, I mean, very heavily involved for the past six and a half years.
3: Actually, uh, Kate and I were the very first nurses on this project, right, Kate? So, this is really cool that we're here actually coming full circle after the end of the project and yeah, uh, yeah we, we were we were the two nurses on the selection committee for the architecture uh, the architecture um, and, and building um, uh, joint venture right Yeah so we got to see all of the uh, submissions uh, along with the, the other hospital folks and um, get to, got to choose who they ultimately went with which was uh, Foster. And, uh, and Driscoll the the uh, the building company, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was exactly seven years ago, and seven years and four months ago.
2: And so, Kate, I'll start with you. If you'll just tell us a little bit of the magnitude and the mission of the project there at Penn Medicine.
0: Sure. So the pavilion is 1.5 million square feet, uh, topped out at about 1.6 billion dollars all in. Um, We are in University City, directly across the street from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Perlman Center, kind of in that campus triumvirate there. Um, We ended up with uh, 504 patient rooms, uh, 47 operating rooms, 110 PACU positions, two-story emergency department um, and support services as well throughout the building, like radiology, pathology, pharmacy, um imaging, of course, like I said, um, there's decentralized imaging, um, and then the back of house kind of things as well, right? The servery, the kitchen, the dining area, family caregiver center, public spaces for people to enjoy the building, um, as well as the support services to run the building materials management, facility shops, things like that. So the guiding principles for this project, um, you know, we really focused on the charge of building a hundred year hospital. That was kind of the charge from the very outset was that this was going to be a facility that needed to last Penn Medicine uh, for the next hundred years. So coming with that, right, is that technology is changing every single day. So we really needed to focus on building a facility that had the infrastructure and the capability to incorporate technologies as they came.
1: I wanted to ask Sean a question. Could you describe some of these new technologies that you implemented? I know looking through some of the reference material that, that has been available to the public, you had some outdoor uh, digital displays, care board, chart bedside integrations and footwall integrations. Uh, love to hear and learn a little bit more about that.
3: Yeah, there was uh, a, a whole lot of of new, cutting edge technology that was uh, put into um, the hospital, particularly the 504 uh, inpatient rooms. Um, you know, and some a lot of that technology also went into the emergency department and the procedure spaces. Um, and uh, you know, really just thinking about uh, the technology, um, both for clinical care on the one side. So you know, integrating. Uh, what you know, we we typically would utilize in terms of physiological monitoring. Um, the the nurse call system uh, had particular importance to the integrations, uh, and I, I can describe to you um, how we utilize that. Uh, and you know, of course, the you know electronic uh, medical record. Then on the other side of that was also the uh, patient experience. So there was a big focus on the patient experience. Uh, and so that was taking the patient room, your typical patient room that's got a TV, um, and making that into an integrated um, sort of care delivery um, the technology that allows you know the patient and the family to participate in their care and in understanding what's going on and uh, the conversations that are going on about care um and uh and all of the rooms and the for the 504 inpatient rooms they were all laid out so that any one of them could be uh, ICU level of care um so just in terms of the floor space uh and then we you know built out the technology based off of the um uh the acuity for the in particular patient room so some of them had a lot of patient monitoring and a lot of technology for the ICUs Um, And then some of them had very, you know, the the same patient experience technology, um, but fewer monitoring and things like that when you when you're talking about a a med surge unit. And then we had uh, progressive care units built out um, that were sort of in between the med surge and um, and the ICU level of care. So all
1: of the rooms, all the rooms, Sean, you're saying are equipped to go to to basically surge up to an ICU.
3: Yeah, just in terms of the the, uh, floor space and the layout, um, one of the really cool things about it was all of the rooms were actually built um, exactly the same so that, you know, the ICU room would be built the same as the med surge unit. The location of the bathroom, uh, and and Kate can tell you that that was a big discussion about where that's going to go in the room because typically hospitals are built with the bathroom sort of back to back, um, and that would... um, You know, that makes it a little bit less expensive. And then each room turns into an inverse of each other. And so you've got to make accommodations. They decided rather than do that, they would put the bathroom in the same spot in the room. So when the patient is lying in bed, the window is always on the left-hand side. The door is always on the right-hand side. And so then you could build out everything uniformly so that if you had to change levels of care, um, you know, you would just be switching out equipment, basically. And that's exactly how, how it was designed
2: and now with the crystal ball of the covid crisis i'm sure you're thinking wow we were brilliant to be able to adapt you know every room to an icu for whatever might be coming in the future so do you think that should be a standard this is a kind of a loaded question but do you think that should be a standard in hospital design or what are your thoughts just about that that practice or that model of care
3: like Kate said, sorry, the 100-year the, the hospital, I was just going to bring this up real quick, the 100-year hospital, right, The you know, we're building for the future. Um, it was impressed on us from, from the, you know, from early on, um, you know, we were all thinking about the fact that this hospital is going to be standing, um, you know, long after we're no longer in it taking care of patients personally, um, so thinking about that future state. Um, And then thinking about the acuity of patients in general. So you're right. I mean, you were just thinking about um, that the patients that come to the hospital and stay in the hospital are sicker and sicker. You know, that was that was the case even before COVID. Um, So that was sort of the vision, you know, thinking about if we needed to expand, we wouldn't have to take down walls uh, or anything in order to do that. If we need to expand our number of ICUs, um, then we could do that pretty quickly. You know the expense of the flexibility
1: up front versus the operational ROI later on, I think it's it speaks to the governance that you set in place with yourself and Sean to be the voice of the user experience. Because so much of the time, it's very easy on these large capital projects to just say, we don't have the budget for that right now, or we don't want to do another bake sale and figure out how to pay for it. And I think that's really important because- The success of it uh, doesn't get diminished. You know, you have that voice.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great point too, Zach, because I think you're right. I think that without the clinical user voice um, at the table advocating for some of these things and really helping to illuminate the impact that they have on the care delivery, the impact that they have on what the patients receive from us, not only as an organization, but as an individual caregiver, right? As a clinician, I think that's very easily dismissed when a project team is focused on a number. Um, and it's just the fact that they don't have the skill set. They don't understand the clinical piece of it, right? So for Sean and I and others to say, this is a really impactful thing to do. This impacts the care of day one and day 101 and for the life of the building and here's why. Let me lay it out for you. Let me show you, You know, create a proposal, create kind of a manifesto of the benefits of that flexibility and illustrate why the cost isn't the end of the story. But without nurses and skilled nurse designers and clinicians in the room, those things fade away very, very quickly.
1: If you could share a little bit about recommendations on designing the technology-rich environment, because I think that probably enabled a lot of this to happen.
3: Yeah, so you know, thinking about the the care environment, and so from a clinical care standpoint, um, a lot of the planning was around you know initially. Um, selecting the right uh, vendor partners, right, that would work with our vision, that would allow us, um, in some cases, access to the back end of their system so that we could do some integrations um, that had never been done before. Uh, so if you think about the, the care environment, we built um, uh, decentralized nurses stations right so the nurses can sit uh, and, and and be able to see their patients uh, through windows so they're in close uh, proximity to them um, one of the technologies that we designed from the ground up is uh, the outside door display so this is a, a small panel it's roughly ipad shaped um, that uh, was placed you uh, you zoom in on there outside of the room and that feeds information uh, from uh, the the EMR um, to that screen that previously we would just post outside the door using you know laminated cards, right? Things like uh, patient's isolation status, falls. Yep. Um, and so rather than have to do any additional work, and actually the other thing that was posted out there would be the nurse's name um, and the CNA's name and their photo. So we're able to pull all of that information electronically from the various sources and automatically populate it up on the uh, outside the room, so that um, clinicians can go in and 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 be able to recognize some of the important details about the patient before they even walk into the room, like that they've got a latex allergy or something like that. Just to the left of that, you can see the server, those uh, cabinets that actually feeds all the way through into the room, so you can actually uh, put meds and supplies. Um, and linens and things like that through into the room without having to bother the patient by by going in. Um, And then uh, the other key piece, there's actually, you can see it in in, um, some of the pictures that we're looking at is uh, the nurse call system. So we spent a lot of time, you know, choosing the nurse call vendor so that we could, not only use it for you know the typical nurse call functions, which is the call bell and also the code call alarm and our rapid response alarm all go through those systems, but we wanted access to the backend API, uh, which this vendor gave us access to so that we could integrate some of the um, you know some of the pieces of information that only the nurse call system happen has, and be able to feed it to other systems or 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 uh, use it for clinical workflows. Um, the beds happen to be also the same uh, the same company, so they actually connect up into the head wall, and there's a lot of information that comes off of the beds, including the nurse call. But uh, you know it also can warn that a patient's uh, about to get out of bed, you know, and, and potentially fall. So been able to integrate that through just for as an example, um, if a patient tries to get up out of bed and the bed uh, alerts, you know, normally it it gives off a beep letting you know that the patient's trying to get out of bed. Um, These beds also talk to the patients and say, don't get up, please don't get up. And then uh, it will send off a uh, an alert through the nurse call system. And that nurse call system is also integrated into a mobile app that then goes to knows who's assigned to that room. Um, from a a nursing standpoint or from the CNA or the charge nurse, and then sends that alert uh, directly to, um, you know, to the appropriate caregivers. Um, And we have that mobile app solution for uh, the nurse call system, for the normal calls, uh, you know, for your code calls, your rapid response. So making sure that those messages get, uh, you know, to, you know, to to the, the appropriate clinician. And we also have it integrated into the physiological monitoring system. So, um, our hospital has always had sort of a, a patchwork in terms of physiological monitoring in the past, just because of the way that you know they're installed over the course of many years. Um, this was an opportunity to have the same physiological monitoring system from uh, the bottom floor to the top floor, and so being able to integrate all of that data, um, be able to pull waveforms and information off of the physiological monitoring and have it go to the phones and go to various places for clinicians to see. Um, all of that data integration, all that you know, data that's coming off of those devices um, was made possible in these rooms.
2: One of the things when I started the Nursing Institute for Healthcare Design, really seeing the need for nurses, I kind of use the term intentional design a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what nurses bring to the table in partnership with the design team is really the intention for the design and that form follows function. And how does that translate into a really lean, you know, process improved uh, space for that, for that workflow and for for care delivery. And Sean, you mentioned a little bit about the patient experience. And one thing that I remember when we visited were the, was the glass between uh, the patient room in the hallway. And I'm not sure if that was a patient satisfier or a staff satisfier, but um, but I'd like you to mention a little bit about that as well.
3: It's also infection control. So we don't need to use curtains, right? That we have to take down and wash all the time. So that was part it's of that decision. Also a cost
0: saver too, right? It also yeah. helps the bottom line is we don't have to buy the curtains or pay the person <laughs> to hang the curtains. So it's, it's and, kind of, and kind of clean a them, yeah. touch points there.
3: Yeah, but from the, the patient experience standpoint, um, the patient also has control over that. Um, so there was a lot of uh, integrations that we did um, to provide uh, the patient the ability to do things uh, from the bed um, that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't normally uh, think about for uh, certainly for a, a hospital room. Um, so the 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 shades uh, to the window are electronic. Um, and so they go up and down with the, the push of a button we gave that button uh to the patient on the pillow speaker um, and that's integrated into the, the foot wall so um, when you uh press the uh the curtain icon on on the pillow speaker it, it comes up on the display the big 75 inch screen in front of the the patient and the family that says you know what you're controlling gives you some feedback uh, same thing for the um, um the 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 windows that you you mentioned, the frosted windows, which end up being the curtains, right? So they can uh, turn those on and off um, a, as needed to give them some uh, the patient some privacy, and uh, also the lights. So uh, there are 27 different zones of lighting in that room, and so the patients have control over the lights. Um, and then most importantly the temperature the patients actually have control over the building automation system through the integrations through the nurse call and the pillow speaker and and the footwall and and all of these technologies that we brought to bear for the patient experience that they can uh you know from their pillow speaker turn the the temperature up or down in their room to make it more comfortable which is which is really cool
1: it certainly presents itself as a well orchestrated an integrated facility and I think you guys should be incredibly proud of it and I appreciate you spending all this time with us uh, today just to share that back to the industry it really is is important to continue this conversation so that we can improve healthcare together as we build the digital transformation of industry 4.0 get connected with our innovative team if this conversation has left you inspired, curious, or just wanting to hear more about emerging technology, there are a couple ways you can join us. We welcome you to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. For more resources about today's content, please check out the episode show notes or drop us an email at inccom Culture Matters. Our mission is to make a positive difference for our clients, colleagues, and communities. See our mission in action on your favorite social platform on Instagram at Smith Read, on Twitter at SSR underscore INC on LinkedIn at SSR and on Facebook at Smith Seckman Reed. This podcast would not be possible without our incredibly talented team of experts and the exceptional support staff at SSR HQ located in
3: Nashville, Tennessee.